Hi, and welcome to the Birth Visionary Podcast, where we talk tools, resources, and taking action with birth workers and maternal health advocates committed to social justice and systemic change. We help you get clear about your vision and values so you can lead with authenticity and intention in your unique work. All right. I am so excited to be here today talking to Janelle Barron. Janelle is the self-proclaimed savvy doula. She's a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. She has been working in the maternal health advocacy space for over five years in various capacities. Janelle is a doula who has trained with two organizations, and she's on her way to completing her childbirth educator certification. She also holds a CLC. She does all of this while working full-time as a maternal community health worker. Janelle considers herself a true Harlem woman. She prides herself on her hustle, her drive, and her ambition. Janelle knows that there are no limits to this work and truly wants to find the right flow for the, the Savvy Doula brand. So Janelle, welcome to the Birth Visionary podcast. I am just, again, so thrilled that you wanted to be in conversation with me. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. I'm so happy to be here. Wonderful. So Janelle and I um, met when Janelle was a member of my um, formerly known as the No Trauma Mama Mastermind last year. And the first two, as I was preparing for this conversation, the first two words that came to mind for me about Janelle were presence and passion. Like I feel like, and purpose, if I had to pick three people, <laughs> those are the three that I would pick because the second you started sharing with us on that first call, I just felt sense, such a sense of your presence grounded in who you were, your purpose, and just this passion for the work that you do. Uh, so, so again, I'm so glad we're talking and you know, I want to start out with um, you. Just tell us a little bit about how you came to be doing the work you're doing today. And you can start as early in your story as you want. I would love to hear about what brought you to your work as a doula and so much more. Oh, so when you said I could start as early as I want, I was like, well, the day I was born. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. So tell me about, you know, 11-year-old Janelle. And Right. Yeah. I think, honestly, I always had... Um, an advocate inside of me. There was always some type of advocate, even when I was school age and I would, um, you know, be in like the trouble for the class, the whole class in trouble. I was like the person that was like, I'm going to go plead out case. I'll be back. So it was always there. Um, and I see a lot of that in my son too. So it's so funny. Um, as I got older, I went to school originally. I got my bachelor's in human resources, like human resource management and business administration. And I really thought like that would be what I would do, right? Like I thought human resources, that's it. I'm going to be a person that, you know, um, employees can call on and, you know, ask questions and I can help them. And after I had my son, I realized like that life was really busy and it wouldn't really work for me. Um, I did a lot of like mommy and me programs with my son, which led me to getting him into like a really specific school in Harlem, um, like a, it's called a baby college program. So it's like a pipeline program. And he started that when he was, I was pregnant when we first signed up. And then as we would do the classes, the 
family advocates will always say, I think you would be a good teacher. And I was like, I don't think so. Like I never really saw myself as a teacher. So I would always say no. And then as time went on, it was like, I couldn't, like opportunities just kept presenting themselves for me to start the teaching journey. So I was awarded a scholarship to do um, child development associate. And I did it. I entered a program working at a nonprofit um, in the Bronx. And while I was there, you know, I loved what I did. I loved the families. I loved my students. But I knew that there was more. We were providing free childcare, pampers, food. People needed more, right? Like people still had all of this stuff at home. All of like all of their basic needs weren't being met. And it was clear. And it was nothing I could do as a teacher, right? They were like, my scope of practice was like capped. So I started really looking into types of work that help families in need. And I came across community health worker and I read the description. I was like, this sounds just like me. Um, In the back of my mind somewhere after I had my son, I had been introduced to a doula. So that was always on my radar, but it wasn't so it wasn't, it was like back burner. It wasn't like something I was like, actively looking into or actively pursuing. But once I left the school setting and started the community health worker um, position, working with um, pregnant moms or, you know, people who are birthing people, people with small children, families like that, then I was like, wow, people are going into hospitals um, to have children or even for follow-up care, postpartum care, And they're not getting care. Like the stories would be outrageous things that I couldn't imagine. Even me, myself getting service in some of these areas, I would just think to myself, this can't be regular. So I signed up for my doula training and I was just like, I'm going to do both. I'm going to continue to do both. And then as I tried to develop myself as a doula, it became so much other, like it became so much bigger than just that. It became bigger than me. I was seeing so much more. And I don't know if it was like the pandemic along with like, maybe now I'm following different social media pages, but I was seeing so many, like I knew that things were happening in the world. Like I wasn't blind to any of that stuff. It was amplified and it made me keep, having to change my purpose and change my work. Um, I've had clients on both ends that need pampers and wipes and food and things like that. So I'm looking for pantries. I'm calling shelters. I'm looking for places. I'm, domestic violence was amplified during the pandemic. Um, I became a domestic violence advocate during the pandemic because, of the, again, the opportunity presented itself to do an online course. And I was like, okay, let me do this because I knew that so many people were um, basically trapped at home with their abuser, right? So I'm just like, all of these things were just like coming to me and I wasn't really seeking anything. And I was kind of grabbing everything that came to me. And I'm still working in that same realm of like, it's coming to me multiple times, right? I tried to ignore some calls and they kept calling back. (laughs) 
<laughs> and um, they're coming to me multiple times. They're coming to me very conveniently um, in forms of scholarships, online classes, um, virtual, at your own pace. Things that just is like, how can you say no to this? And then other opportunities are just presenting themselves in a way where it's kind of like asking you shall receive. Um, I'm just throwing some things into the universe of like, I think this might stick and it's sticking and I'm just going with it. So that's a little bit of that (laughs) pipeline of how I got to this person you see today on Instagram. That's like, I'm doing a diaper drive. I'm doing a giveaway. I'm raising funds for this. That's how you see. (laughs) That's who you see now. Oh my gosh. What an incredible path. And so many things just stood out for me in what you just said. So the seeds that were planted early on, when I think about that story that I think we can relate, so many of us can relate to where we're in a role or a job or a position in life, like HR manager for you, right? HR role for you. And somewhere along the way, someone says, hey, I think you'd be a great teacher. And then another person somewhere along the way says, hey, I think you'd be a great teacher. Scholarship shows up and an opportunity shows up. And I think about, for so many of us, those opportunities that come our way and, you know, when I'm in this category, hundred percent, sometimes we don't see them because you have to say yes, right? You have to say yes and receive it in order for that truth for you, that path to really come to fruition. And I'm hearing that you have seen, you've witnessed, you've received, and you've said yes. And that's led you to... The amazing and it hasn't always been on my sorry yeah it hasn't always been like on my own merit right like I don't want to take all the credit for my yeses sometimes I'm literally telling like my mom my aunt my husband this is just keep happening and they're like okay so what are you going to do with that mm-hmm. like sometimes it's just me like pouring into other people and acknowledging like I'm acknowledging that the opportunities are there but I'm not always ready for the yes but I know that the people that a will be there to support me push me help me and nourish me through those things because we all need a doula right mm-hmm. so I'm not without a doula at all times. If I am studying extra hard, working extra hard, I have someone that's going to make sure I am nutrition, hydrated, like all of those things. I'm going to have somebody to make sure, you know, I have a ride. Like my husband is like, okay, let me just drive you here. So you're not worrying about a Uber or whatever. So we're all with that like village. And it's funny because I read Chandra's Rhymes Year of Yes a few oh, years ago. Oh, so good. Such a good book. And I've been gifting it out ever since I read it. So I would always like meet a new friend and be like, give me an address. I'm Amazoning this to you. Just because like it really did change the way I thought, even though I didn't have like an official year of yes it has opened up the amount of opportunities. Like I might have never said yes to being on a podcast (laughs) prior to, but I'm just like, okay, well, what does it hurt, right? Like I know Jennifer, I'm comfortable with her. We've had great conversations. She's always supported me. Why would I tell her no? Like what? I I would need a really grand reason to say no. Whereas before I might've just said no because (laughs) it was easier than saying yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I'm so 
I'm just mesmerized by what you said around how everyone needs a doula, right? We Absolutely. think of doulas as, and there are, you know, you're a birth doula, like doulas for that moment in time, right? But who is doula-ing us in these moments where we need someone to be our mirror, someone to, you know, raise us up, someone to reflect back to us what we don't see in ourselves? Absolutely. And remind you of those techniques that we already know, right? Because your doula, we give the childbirth education beforehand. We let you know, you know, the positions and all of those things, but then we're there to whisper it in your ear that day. So yeah, I know that when I'm hangry, I need to eat. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that I'm always going to identify that moment and then take care of that issue. So when my husband is around and he notices that I'm hangry, he doulas me. He's like, all right, eat. (laughs) You want some chocolate? You want a snack? Here you go. And he identifies it and he helps to really push me to do what actually needs to be done versus just like, you're hangry. I'm gonna walk away. So that it's with teamwork and a hundred percent having a village to doula you. Mm. I love that. And I love that you have that support because you are, you have taken a lot on here. So in what you just described to us, I mean, wow. Um, you know, especially what hit for me is when you talked about how you're working, um, as a support advocate to people who, you know, maybe in heightened situations of domestic violence during this last year that we've all lived through where people are, um, you know, and more and more stats are coming out about this and stories, unfortunately, where, you know, domestic violence has just skyrocketed over the last year because people are stuck with their abusers. So that Absolutely. alone, when you said you're involved with that, I'm thinking, wow, the massive amount of energy, emotional energy that it must take to be engaged in that incredible supportive work is one thing. And then on top of it, you're, so tell me about your diaper drive, because I saw this recently and, you know, a big piece of what this space, this podcast is all about is talking about how, you know, ultimately I believe birth work is justice work. And absolutely. And I will go into that at length at another time. Um, but I think you believe that as well. And so how does, you know, birth work alone, I would say is justice work. For so many birth workers, I see that manifesting outside of that birthing room, that birthing space and out into people's communities. So I see you doulaing your community too. And recently with this incredible Absolutely. event. So I would love to hear about your community and the work you've been doing um, to doula them and and your neighborhood. Uh, so I don't know. Again, always had a community service bug in me, always you know, participated, um, jumped on other people's events, was always, you know, I'm going to donate, I'm going to show up to help, I'm going to clean up, break down the event, whatever you need me to do. And just in this last year (laughs) of this, I don't know what we're calling it anymore, the panorama, I don't think we're calling it a pandemic anymore, (laughs) we're we're finding new words for it. Um, again, in my full-time work, we help families locate resources. And one of those main resources is always food and diapers. Um, pantries for a minute has slowed down. They picked back up. Diapers never picked back up. Our resources that we were always sending families to were becoming burnt out. And I started to feel like, not, not that I was abusing 
my resource because the, my clients really need the right. Like if I have 50 clients on my caseload and I have 10 coworkers, that's 500 clients at a time that most likely all need diapers. Um, but the resources were saying we don't have, like we just, it, there's, it, they don't exist. <laughs> um, and they were trying and it just was becoming to, like, to me, sad um, to find diapers, to find basic necessities was becoming for me, who wasn't in direct need of these things was becoming disheartening. Mm -hmm. I was becoming discouraged. Like I was just like, they're not out there. <laughs> like I was getting to that point. I called 311 asking about diapers. I'm like, so yeah, I don't know anywhere that I can get some free diapers for a client. And you got to be the change you want to see sometimes. Mm -hmm. I had this on my heart in like December, I did, I was participating in a toy drive with another organization and just seeing the children very happy. They targeted specifically children in shelters and seeing those children receive their gift bags in such a beautiful way and take pictures and just have that, that moment just felt great. And I was like, what can I do? So I called up um, someone who I actually met during the pandemic because I was calling her for resources. Um, she runs the mutual aid for parents. And I have was calling her like, I need this, I need that. And she was always, we would be bouncing ideas and advice and resources off of each other. I called her and I was like, I know you haven't done anything quite like this, but what do you think about this? And one phone conversation on a late Friday night turned into over 75 families receiving diapers, wipes, we had pads, um, we had tampons, menstrual cups, um, laundry detergent, body wash, toothpaste, toothbrushes, loofahs, there was clothing and so much clothing, a brand new crib and mattress a family got to take away, um, strollers, car seats. We had about eight car seats and I literally, I cried the whole morning of the event until it started at noon. And then after, I think I just let out like a, another cry because I wanted to do that. I'm getting emotional to think about it. I wanted to make sure families got the things that they wanted, but also in a very respectful way. I didn't want families to feel like they were begging Mm -hmm. or you know I, I didn't want that right I didn't want people to be online for too long like all of that was important so I had like 20 volunteers if not more because I didn't want people to just be standing online for an hour right. to get this you know this bag of stuff and things like that I just took into account of different events that I had seen and what I wanted to take from it and what I wanted to make sure my client, the, um, the participants didn't feel like. And at the end of it, when I say I was tired and my body hurt, like ate, like every part of me, <laughs> I was exhausted. And I said to my husband, I want to do this again. Am I crazy? <laughs> uh, not crazy. And that's how I felt. I felt absolutely like, you know, the definition of insanity, you do something and you expect different results. I literally was like, is this the right, should I feel this way or should I feel like I need a break? And my husband's like, no, 
this is you. Like he's already used to the, I run real fast all the time. And um, hopefully I want it to be something that I can do often um, as big or bigger. Just because we had like over 140 packs of diapers. We, it was, I can't even believe the amount. And this was all through crowdfunding, basically. Like people um, asked me, how did you get this stuff? And I was like begging on Instagram. <laughs> what? So that's how I, I was sharing that thing left and right. I'm like, send diapers, send diapers. And I appreciate you. Oh, no, no. And I, I know so many people, you were, I mean, you were working it all over Instagram. I mean, oh, isn't social media such a, I mean, we all know that the how what an interesting space that is. Sometimes it makes us crazy, drives us nuts, and then it can be the most effective organizing tool. Absolutely, and, and making connections. It's just incredible. You know, I had full body chills when you said that that evening conversation turned into this event. Yep, like literally full body chills because that's how that's how the magic happens right it's one conversation it's one idea it's one person looking at you saying we can do this and and you had these incredible results for your community Um, I just needed one person to say you know and not like family support like another person that would be in the the trenches with me like that would know the actual work that we needed to do to say it's not impossible and you know once I got that confirmation, I just held tight to that. And it was literally, we made a to-do list and then things started happening. We would text and check in, but it was that one conversation that rolled everything. We didn't have to have 40 meetings. And I think that's sometimes when we think about community service, we think about that tedious part, right? Like somebody has to organize all of this stuff. These things don't just happen. But it wasn't tedious. It was, this is what we want to do. This is the steps we need to take. You take this stuff, I take that stuff, and we'll get back together and have an end result. And I don't know if it was just that partnership was so great, or was it the purpose was so great? Or maybe it was a little bit of both, where it was no like struggle for location. Like it wasn't We were like, if it has to be Bronx or Harlem, whichever we can get someone to, you know, give us a space, fine. We weren't tug of warring with it has to be this way or has to be that way. It was like, okay. We were both very just like, okay. (laughs) And everything worked out amazing. That's so incredible to hear. And I love that you're fired up about like the next event that you're going to have, because to me, as someone like on the outside looking in, it's like, you are living your truth in this work. And that's the next right thing for you to do because you're feeling the energy there. Right. And yes. um, yeah, it's just, it's so incredible to hear how, you know, it's like progress, not perfection. When you mentioned like not needing to have a million meetings or giving up control around location that's when things actually happen. And I know for me, I tend to think I've got to have these five meetings. I've got to make, find the perfect location. It's like in the end, the people that you're serving aren't caring about that. Right. Absolutely. I'm thinking of the parallels to the birth experience with this. um, And I'm not a doula. So I'm just thinking about the parallels to 
you letting know, go and letting and it happen yes, naturally. <laughs> yes. A mom three times over, like you can't plan for everything. Yep. You, but when you go with the flow, you make the moves that you can to prepare, right? You make the moves that you can to prepare. Absolutely. You get yourself in the right headspace to do the work. And then you have to give up a certain amount of control when the thing actually starts happening. It's happening. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to happen. Because there could be last minute decisions. There could be, you know, you could be birthing in a place where <laughs> it's completely different than you expected. People give birth in taxis. Yes. Like they yes. <laughs> spontaneous in the shower or toilet birth, just, you know, not right. prepared. Right. Can't I hold had, the baby in there because we're not ready. <laughs> no, exactly. I I had two birth center water births with my first two. And then my third, last minute, I decided to be at the hospital. And it and so, and that's something I would have never expected, but that experience went well because I gave up needing to be in a certain place. I was prepared. And so I just think the analogies of doula in your community with the experience of birth itself childbirth itself are just so beautiful in the way that you've connected those woven those two things together for us today I really love that yeah it's it's incredible what you're doing so thank you for connecting it because I don't feel like I've ever uh like put that so eloquently (laughs) (laughs) that's what I'm hearing from you so again mirroring back to you what you are already doing right you're right What, what we're already doing So tell me, what is, you've shared a little bit about, like, we know you're going to do more of these events, right? Absolutely. This, the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you, what is the vision for your work going forward now for your, I want to say doula work, but I don't want to narrow it down that specifically (laughs) for Eviku because your work, well, it is doula, again, you doula beyond, you doula within the birth context of birth, but you doula beyond. So I will ask you that question. What is the vision for your doula work going forward? It is so funny you asked me that (laughs) because I looked back to one of our first uh, master classes and we talked about hope, challenge, fear. Mm -hmm. And I have here, my hope is to be able to provide all birthing people with comprehensive childbirth education and doula services. And that's still my hope and my vision. I would love to be able to provide birth and bodies, people in need, um, specifically high risk, and that's not high risk pregnancies. And so my people that are more at risk for receiving harm in a medically, a medical industrial complex. Um, so whatever that, um, whoever feels like they fit into that category, I want them to be able to receive comprehensive health education. And that's about all of their reproductive rights birth control, abortion rights, everything through conception, the pregnancy, postpartum, that large postpartum period, not like that one six-week checkup, and all the way through to maybe their next child. And along with that health education and all of those other um, educational components, providing them with the tools that they actually need. Because I say I work all of the time. I could preach safe sleep until I'm blue in the face. If a person doesn't have a crib, what can I do, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to educate you on safe sleep 100% and be able to provide you with a crib. 
I want to educate you on the safe way to prepare formula of your formula feeding. But if you don't have filtered water or a clean workspace to make that, how can, how am I helping you? I may be giving you more anxiety, right? Like these are all of the expectations. So the baby needs to be sleeping alone. We need to do this. We need to do that. Make sure you're going to these appointments, pushing all of these things, but I have no transportation for you. I have, I'm just giving you more task and no help. Mm. And none of us like to feel like that, right? None of us like to feel like someone's like, oh, you made a whole lasagna and a salad and vegetables. Did you make garlic bread? Like (laughs) no one likes to be like, okay, I did a whole lot, like back off either help, you know, order something, whatever, but like contribute. And that is my vision. And that's what I want to leave as my legacy. Maybe it will form, maybe it'll appear in a form of a nonprofit organization maybe it'll just be Janelle doing the work. Um, But I would love for people to get comprehensive, real health education that matters to them. And it works in their community, not like a video that was made in 1988. That works with your community because I'm in Harlem, right? I walked to the hospital when I was in labor, right? So all of this, oh, in the videos, call 911 and wait. Like, no, you need health education that makes sense. Are you having your forms filled out properly? Have you read these forms in advance? Do you understand what you're signing? Do you understand what routine means? Because routine does not mean it has to happen. It is not mandatory. Routine is something they like to do. (laughs) It's not what they have to do. Um, Letting survivors of, you know, sexual assault, and domestic violence, understand that they still have autonomy over their body, even when they enter that building. And just, you know, letting them, giving them the information and the language to advocate for themselves. And even, you know, moms with families with small children, you go to the doctor, ask about the vaccinations. Um, Yeah, even if you're going to do it, right? What's the timeline? Can these be put off? Can I wait? You know, what are we getting today? Symptoms, side effects. Always ask, even if you're going in there knowing what you're going to do, right? What are the risks? If you wouldn't go to the hair salon and be like, oh, just do blonde. Yeah. No, you would ask, if I put blonde in my hair, is it going to fall out? How do I treat it after? Like you would get all of this information before the process. And I want us to handle our bodies in that same way. And I don't think it's because we don't care for our bodies. I think that we have been taught by society for so long that once you enter into a hospital, um, they care or they know more and no one knows more about your body. And a gut feeling is as good as a medical diagnosis in my book. <laughs> if you feel like something is not right, don't leave. I had a client. Um, she has cysts. She kept feeling a pain, but they were told that it was on the left side. It's like, oh, if you feel something on the left side, come back. She felt pain on the right side. I was like, go into it, the hospital. She went into the emergency room ruptured cyst on the right side that they didn't even see in the original scans. So these are just things, right? They're giving you, I want to say half care. I really feel like it's just not, I don't want to put all the blame on the complex. (laughs) 
I do want to say, like, you know, some people get into the field to do the right things. However, a 15-minute visit, you cannot feel like you're providing me with comprehensive care. It's show me how to use medications. You give someone an asthma pump and they don't know how to use it. Um, even me, I was given eardrops one time and I didn't understand what I needed to do with them. So I just did the drop. I waited and that was it. The eardrop was literally just running back out. Yeah. I had another appointment with that same doctor and I was like, is it didn't work? And she showed me like, cause it was telehealth. Then she showed me like, oh, you lay, you massage the air. Like, I'm like, oh, so the airdrop, I never did the first treatment. It didn't even happen. Now imagine if that was something more severe than my ear, you know, aching. If that was literally like a pain or a, a sign of birth or, you know, anything, I would have needed to be more clear on the treatment plan <laughs> and understanding, but there's so many people who get things done to them in hospitals. And if they don't understand what was done, um, they don't understand birth control. They don't understand the side effects of birth control. They don't understand how many different birth control methods are out there. Cause that's something I didn't really know like when I started birth control, I didn't know all of my options. Mm -hmm. It was like a pill or depo. <laughs> and then you hear the rumors of depots as like the pill, but you're not like good at pills or like time and schedule. And, and I think that that's just things like we need to talk about every single birth control and let people make informed decisions. And that is truly my, what I feel like my life purpose is, is helping people make informed decisions especially around their care mm -hmm. it's so incredibly important and I think something you've highlighted for us that is you know so key in all of this because in medical ethics we preach informed consent all the time right informed consent informed consent but we very rarely talk about at least in my experience the different contexts where that needs to unfold differently so I have a I have a mentor who's who's passed on now and he used to always say to educate and to hope is futile. So we can educate till like you said we can educate till we can't educate anymore. Right. And unless the 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 systems and different elements of what that looks like need to be changed, right? So you can talk about safe sleep, but if a family doesn't have a crib, person doesn't have a crib for their baby, what's that going to do? That's going to cause more stress for them. And the structure isn't there to support the right. education or the to implement that education. So it makes me think about, you know, that systems work that feels so overwhelming, so daunting. So, you know, the, the medical industrial complex is one thing on its own, right? And then we break, start breaking it down and it can feel overwhelming. So I think something that many of us struggle with and many of the people probably listening to this podcast can relate to is how do I start to take small action because I'm so overwhelmed by all the things that need to be done. So if someone is listening to this, like, and I think you've given us a lot of examples, right? But if you had to choose like one small action that someone could take in their birth work because they want to work for change, what could, what's one small action that's really just worked for you? Like a baby step. I would say my baby step was always taking the baby step. So follow your passion. Like you said, um, in the beginning, you mentioned passion and purpose. Mm -hmm. Do things that you're passionate about and that serves your purpose or the 
like I always say, my legacy and what I want to leave behind is like when people Google me or, you know, look me up or hear my name, that's what they think of. Do things with that in mind and just take the step. It, to me, like I said, it's always been different, whether that was just like enrolling in the class, if that was, you know, that phone call, like, hey, I want to do community service, just throw it in the air, like see where it can go. Like every action has that first thing you need to do, right? You hungry, you want to go out to eat, you got to get dressed, (laughs) right? So whatever that first, the smaller, and it could be the smallest thing of writing it down, finding a course, um, following a certain person or DMing a certain person. Jennifer, you know, I'll be in somebody's DMs like, (laughs) Do you have information about this? That is Do the it. way. That is the way. It's literally it's like what yeah, a DM and I, can lead to. It's amazing yeah. what a DM can lead to. Yes, like, absolutely. I mean, that alone. And I love you. And I also love what you said about writing something down. Like physically writing something down, not typing something, but I mean like holding a pen or a pencil with paper, writing it down. It's like it brings that hope, that dream, that wish, that thing to uh, it's like it becomes more physical it becomes- I think it's the writing like yeah. I feel like it's the physical writing of it I was always like that when I took notes I would write even if I knew the information write yeah. it down because it helped me like muscle memory or something right and I feel like a post-it note is your best friend if you have a thought a dream a wish an idea cut it on a post-it note it could be moved. It could be rearranged. You could put it in different orders. Sometimes I'm like, these are my tasks for today. 10 post-it notes. I'm like, oh, that's going to be tomorrow. Put that to the side. That's going to be today. <laughs> right. It's, it's movable. And it doesn't, it, it's, it's written. It's, it's, it's in black and white. It's on, you know, it's pen to paper, but it's also, it gives you that comfort that it can be moved. It can be changed. It can be rearranged. It's not the final way it needs to be. And I think that sometimes, right? Like we're scared to waste our favorite planner on writing something that we're not actually going to do, right? Like I'm not going to write that down because then my planner is ruined. No, a post-it note is the perfect 10 cent way to write down a plan and move it around, rearrange it add steps before it, like things that I thought was ABC. I'm like, wait, I need A1. Let me move that. And it it gives it enough flexibility where you don't feel, you know, bound to this one way. Mm -hmm. What a great practical (laughs) suggestion. Yeah, I fall victim to the pretty planner syndrome too. I'll buy myself a new planner. I'm like, well, I can't write that in pen. And then it just becomes a whole thing about the planner and not. The planner is just now a cute book. That right. we write. <laughs> With like I literally only paper. write my bills in my planner because I know the bills are legit going to happen. Like <laughs> right. I know the bills, and the I bills won't through. change. But right. like my actual planning of my life. I don't do it anymore because I was that person. I had the planner with the stickers and then I thought, oh, a digital planner because I can then erase and add and do what I need to do. No, that also didn't work. It's the post-it notes and you can put them where you need to see them. Um, Bathroom mirrors. I have some on my nightstand. Literally, I bought a huge like cardboard from Amazon and I do like sometimes like, okay, content planning, different things yeah. on, oh, yeah. cause you tear them off and do it again. It's not like something that you're so financially invested in and it's not a permanent marker. <laughs> 
It's it's such a brilliant, like some of the most brilliant solutions are the most simple solutions, right? The most elegant Absolutely. solutions are the most simple and you don't always need to spend a fortune. I love that advice. You are such a force, Janelle. I have loved this conversation so much and you've given me so much to think about. And I'm sure for people listening to this, they are going to be inspired to take small action to take a baby step, whether that's writing it down, putting on on a post-it note or having a conversation with a friend that's going to lead to their next big thing. I know people are going to be thinking about the ways that with like with you doula in, in the ways that you doula for birthing people and then the ways that you doula beyond that experience is really just so powerful and beautiful. So tell us where people can connect with you the best, best place. Best place is Instagram at the savvy doula underscore two V's and savvy. Um, I was stuck on the name. So I used the underscore because somebody had the, the savvy doula, but I wanted it to be my Instagram name so bad. I underscored it. So never forget the underscore. That's me. And yeah, that way, um, once you're on my Instagram, I have links to all of my other, whatever that is, consultation forms, um, PayPal's, any type of events I'll be doing will all be posted there and you'll be able to click um, throughout everything I'm doing. (laughs) Amazing. So we can find, and I'll put this in the show notes. So the Savvy Doula underscore on Instagram and all the links are there. So if people want to support the community work that you're doing and, and beyond, they can find everything they need. Yes, the Savvy Doula merchandise is there. And the Savvy Doula merchandise, um, it raised over $200. And I was going to do like a community course. But then when I started to do the diaper drive, I just put that money into the diaper drive. So the money still went for community. So anytime people purchase Savvy Doula merchandise, the money goes directly towards community support, whether that's going to be doula services, lactation services, or something like the community diaper drive, the money will be, it's not in my pocket. It's definitely, it's oh. going back into the community a hundred percent. Oh, that's great. And, and her merchandise is amazing. I thank you. Just everybody go and check that out. You're going to, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. So Janelle, again, thank you so much. I cannot wait for our next conversation because you know, there's going to be another one. Absolutely. And I, um, I'm excited for our listeners to connect with all that you are doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. 